Computing Broadcast, a fascinating round in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. So today's episode is kind of a prequel in a way of speaking because, you know, previously I did an episode on amusement parks, roller coasters, where we kind of got a feel for how these things came into being, their evolution, their history, and how they became so prevalent in the United States. So I definitely recommend going back and checking out that episode. But today is, again, like I said, a prequel because what we're talking about are carousels, the history of carousels, the restoration, how they came to be. Uh, and I have expert Lorinda Bray of Running Horse Studio here in Los Angeles to kind of give us a little rundown. And I'm excited about this because, you know, carousels, I guess nowadays, you think of it as kind of a wimpy kid's ride. Well, it turns out that the history is actually pretty incredible. And not only that, these things were the seed, the first real rides that appeared at a lot of these uh, amusement parks. And so really the history of amusement parks is the history of the carousel. Um, because even today, with with all the modern innovations, the incredible death-defying, adrenaline-pumping roller coasters that are out there, the carousel is still a staple. It's a mainstay in most amusement parks that you're going to go to. They're still fun, uh, you know, for all ages, and these things have a very, very interesting, unique, artistic history that we're going to get into um, with Lorinda Bray. Lorinda, thank you for being on the program today. Now, do you like Lorinda? Do you like Grinda? Do you like Lori? Do you like uh, Labre? What do you like? Well, I've been called um, Lorinda all my life, pretty uh-huh. much, until the last maybe 10 years or so when I got tired of writing the whole thing out. Right. And went to Rinda. It's a lot. Rinda. Yeah, you know. Cut um, off the half of the beginning, well, use the end. it turned out it's misspelled anyway. It's my, fa- it's my father's mother's first name. Okay. And he misspelled the name when I was christened. It, they, it was supposed to be L-O-R-I-N-D-A, not L-O-U-R. Uh-huh. And my brother has, has a misspelled middle name. He's supposed to be Bannister Royster, Royster Bray, not Royston. Uh-huh. He, and my fa- father misspelled his father's um, middle name. So your father misspelled two of his parents' names? Yeah. Oh my goodness! Well, you know, and what I wondered why when I found the the Confederate cookbook in in Atlanta <laughs> in my cousin's home uh-huh. that it says Lorinda Allen Phillips, and I'm saying, well, gee, what happened to the U? Well, it was never there. Right, never yeah. existed in the first place. No. <laughs> uh, well, so, so it's it's kind of a cool segue into what you do because we're going to get into the history of carousels, mm-hmm. and you know, I did an episode on amusement parks, and one of the key features. Of, of almost every amusement park that's ever been made, I'm making that very blanket statement, but I think it's probably true, is the carousel, the merry-go-round. I think every, every amusement park has one. Right. And even now, botanic gardens and zoos are putting them in because right. people really do enjoy them. They're a nice, non-challenging-for-your-mind ride <laughs> right, that's yeah. pleasant and fun, and the children can get on it with you. Sure, yeah. But originally, it was not made for children to ride. It was made for a young man to take his girlfriend to the park mm-hmm. and um, and put her on one of these 
prancing horses and hold her on. And that's why these saddles are so big. They're for mm. a girl to ride side saddle. Right. Over her to him to get up behind her and hold her on. Right. And remember all these all these carousels were at the end of trolley lines and the trolley lines um, owned the parks. And they owned the concept food concession stands. And so you paid money to get a trolley ride down to the park and money to ride the carousel and money to get something to eat and then money to come back. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the reasons. And then there's the reason the benches are on there, the chariots are on there, is for the chaperones or for Nanny to sit there and the little kids were put on the far inside next to her. But generally these were made for adults to ride with their girlfriends. I mean, it was a chance for a young guy to be out in public with his girlfriend, even though she had a chaperone, yeah. and he could feel her waist, feel her stage, Ay-oh. you know. Yeah. See, maybe a bit of ankle, because Ooh. she was covered from head to toe. Oh, yeah. Right. So it was a big thing. And yeah. yeah, so it was a like kind of fun history of it. So I always tell people, when you go to a carousel, if there's some kid sitting on the horse you want, knock him off, because they don't belong on there anyway. Right. I agree with you. I don't like kids. I wouldn't knock them off any chance that I can get. I love that. That's a great, um, great piece of advice because what you do. So obviously, you know, the history, we're going to get to that in a second, but you have an obvious love of carousels mm-hmm. because you do lots of things with them. We're mm-hmm. sitting here again in running horse studio singular, and you have a, a why I'm looking at almost acres. It's probably not acres, just a big studio, but it feels like acres of antique carousel, um, pieces. Mm-hmm. You restore them, you collect them. Mm-hmm. Um, you're an expert in them. Why don't you explain what you do a little bit better. A Running Horse Studio is um, a future museum of carousel art, Hmm. and it deals with the history of the Golden Age of Carousel, which is 1875 to about 1929. Most of it, a great deal of it, corresponds with the history of the immigrant era, because most Hmm. of our carvers came from Europe um, for economic reasons, but many of them for religious reasons. M.C. Illions, who was one of our carvers, left Russia during the time of the pogroms and walked across Europe uh, and walked and got himself over into England to work for Savages. Savages was the inventor of the overhead crank that allowed the horses to jump. Oh, not like terrible people. You mean not like not like brutal people savages. You mean that's the last savages name? Savages is Frederick like Fred Savages. Savage. Savage is oh, so he was a Fred name. Savage. He was Frederick Savage. Yeah. And when his son came on, the company became Savages. His uh-huh. two Savages worked at it. Got it. But, but the father, Frederick, is one that has the, the it's a patent for the overhead crank. Right. Oh, and and oh. all the horses in England go clockwise, so you get on a horse the same way you get on a live horse mm. on the right, on the left side there and swing your right leg over. But American pieces go counterclockwise, so you have to either go around the back of the horse to get on the proper way. But the women, actually, if, if we ride, we girls ride side saddle, mm-hmm. then you stick your right leg into the stirrup and pull yourself up by the jump pole, and then your left leg goes behind your right leg and you're locked on the horse. Okay. So it's very comfortable for us girls to ride side saddles. Sounds comfortable. That's why the saddles are made that way. Some of these saddles, if you sit on them astride, they they hurt because the the saddle digs right into the back of your thighs. Right. And if you were a woman riding astride, all of your your dresses would be up around your waist with your legs hanging down the side. You don't want that. You don't want that. No. So 
Yeah, girls don't want that. Uh, well, I always thought it was kind of, I mean, I've ridden a horse before. I'm kind of a cowboy myself. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, when you talk about painful riding, I think guys have it worse because you are you got a very sensitive area smashed up against the horse. I think riding side saddle should be, guys should be riding side saddle. Girls should be riding yeah, regular you're, style. you're supposed to stand next to the girl and hold her on. Well, I'm talking about real horse. But yes, with carousels, I guess you're right. Um, I think I can handle sitting well, on a carousel. Yeah, real saddles, uh, western saddle generally. And, of course, the cavalry saddles, the McClellan saddles, had that center opening, center space mm-hmm. for stuff to get out of the way into, you know. Mm-hmm. I know and, what you're talking yeah, about. It's, but it's, it's harder to ride it because there are hard edges underneath your tailbone. Right. And But you're, the front parts of yourself are nice and tidy. Sure, <laughs> which is important. That's <laughs> an you know, important consideration. Always a matter of adjustment. Sure. <laughs> so how did you get into carousels? Was it the different style of saddles or were there other reasons you got into carousels? Well, I used to, as I, I was actually as a little girl allergic to horses. Hmm. And the ones that could really? be around. Well, if I was in Disneyland, you're riding the trolley, the, you know, the horse pull in the front, you know, yeah. this, whatever was coming off of him would make me just start sneezing and running <laughs> eyes and sure. wheezing and stuff. But I could be around Sneezy and wheezy. Ponies. Yeah, you know. Um, sounds like a, like a dwarf, doesn't it? Yeah, at Disneyland. <laughs> but um, so I could ride carousels, and Griffith Park was the one closest to us, of course. Mm-hmm. And I would take forever to choose the right horse because it... I wanted it to have flowers or feathers or something that was interesting on it. I wanted it to be a jumper on the outside because I had places to go. Sure. And um, and it did, could not be armored. I wanted something that was just a real girl horse. So that was too masculine. The armor was too masculine. Armor was just, you know. Yeah. On the other hand, when I first bought horses, I bought armored horses first. Huh. But anyways. You're a conundrum. You're I, well, <laughs> life is a conundrum. So sure. I, so when I get on, you know, I was probably five, maybe and I close my eyes, and we we jump off the carousel and go riding through the park, uh-huh. the trees. I could see it all going. My parents wanted to know why my eyes were eyes closed. I never wave at them. Well, I wasn't actually on the ride. I was riding <laughs> through the park because oh, I always wanted to do. Uh-huh. And and I've always still done that. I really really ride with my eyes open. We're always riding someplace else. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so then when I was uh, remember coming back and still sitting there, you know, and waiting, for, dying for another ride. And I thought one day I thought, you know, the best job in the whole world would get to be to paint the carousel ponies. And hmm. I thought, well, you know, someday I'm going to own my own carousel. Well, so now I own three. Right. <laughs> and a Blue Goose Ride. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, you know, it's really, a, um, I like to keep promises I make to myself. I think it's the most important promise that you keep. Sure. Others are to be kept as well, but the biggest one are the ones you make yourself. I completely agree with that. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. So when you, so you, to this day, when you ride a carousel, eyes closed. I rarely have my eyeballs open. Yeah. I'm generally just someplace else for the, for the time. Wow. And I really enjoy riding my own horses the most. Mm-hmm. So when I was in Santa's Village working, I used to paint their carousel, restore it, or you know, refurbish it every year for 14 years. Mm-hmm. Then I take, I rode every horse at some point during the summer. And those horses are here. I bought the ride. That ride that you worked on for 14 I, years yeah, at Santa's guys, Village. I said, sometime if I could ever buy you guys, I want to bring you all back to the shop with me. And so they're all here, and they're being refurbished. Uh-huh. Um, they're being recarved. The second and third rows are being uh, restored in Sandusky, Ohio, at the Merry-Go-Round Museum. Mm-hmm. So it works well. I can I send them cash to do it. They have volunteers to do the work, so the volunteers get to have things to do. They're very excited about the project. The museum gets money. And I get restored horses. 
Wow. And it's just really wonderful. It's a great thing for all three of us. It is strange that there's a, a kid's ride museum in Sandusky, Ohio. That it's is a, a little a strange. It's a big, massive post office building. Huh. It's a huge space, and they put on really beautiful exhibits. And for years now, I've been loaning them pieces. They have, I think they have nine of my pieces there now and some wall art. Wow. And you're going to be returning four pieces. Generally, if you want to borrow something, you got to return something. Sure. Because you don't want to get the idea, you know, well. Then it's just taking, one. right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they're just on loan, you know. So four <laughs> right. are going to come back in a couple of more months. Uh-huh. Uh, and they'd be nice to have them. I haven't seen them in three or four years now. It's been nice wow. to have them back in here again. And so what's your background then? Because, I mean, I, as you mentioned before, which I think it's very key to point out, these are not fiberglass pieces. These are not factory produced. You're talking about the golden age where these are hand-carved by master carvers. So what you're restoring is, in fact, pieces of art. They are. Well, so they you are. have to have a background they to be able to appreciate art, this. And yet there's, they're a seat on the ride. The manufacturer thought of them as being a way to make money. Yeah. But I do restore these back to the way the factory made them so they're repaired with wood and as little commercial filler as possible and uh, they're repainted to back to factory specs so for example this armored horse that's on the right of us here mm -hmm. um, I'll put a picture up so people can play along yeah, it I have a picture of this from a big uh, it would be a folio it was a big advertising foldout that the manufacturer um, published and would send to prospective clients and this horse is pictured. So I know what his color is. This particular horse? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. That with all this with star on the back, you know, and all of this. So I know what this is supposed to have on it for huh. colors. So that's easy. But I imagine there's got to be a little bit of research when you start getting well, into... Yeah, there's always research. You always have to, when I when anything comes in here, mm -hmm. the first thing I'll do, if it's got paint on it, is to scrape down and try to find the first colors and then document them. Mm -hmm. And then if it's already stripped when it comes here, sometimes I can take them outside into the sun and with a magnifying glass and a flashlight, I can find little bits of color left in the cracks or, or next to a band, you know, where you can't quite get uh, a brush down into to, to brush stuff off, there's some little residue left behind that lets me know pretty much what that color was. Mm -hmm. And I also, after all these years, know what colors the manufacturers used. Right. And the most easiest way to make these things work is to put a little bit of raw umber into every color. And the idea being that, that you have to marry the colors so they're all from the same family. Wait, what's raw umber? Raw umber is a transparent oil color. Uh -huh. That's a burned umber is a is a redder brown, dark brown, and, okay. and raw umber is more of a just a brown brown toward toward a little darker blacker side, but it's still okay. transparent. Uh -huh. But it's a neutral color that doesn't all it does is just take the heat out of a color. Uh -huh. But you can also Ilians we talked uh, we talked about earlier a little bit. He's one that walked from from Russia into England. Um, he used to use one color of all the ones he was painting the trappings. So, and the idea is you, you need a unifying something that marries the colors together so they all become of one family. Got it. Now that makes sense. I mean, but it's, it's a, it's a very difficult job to get I mean, with, with any restoration project. If you're going back to the original time, especially when that time is over a hundred years ago, mm. it's hard to match that perfectly. So do you have a, a background in, in this type of yeah, stuff? I have a BA in painting. Okay. And a master's in set design and special effects for television. Got it. Mm -hmm. So this is right up your alley then. It is. It was just it's kind of a pathway that got me here. And I was always doing something like this overlapping uh -huh. um, not the painting, of course, in college. I was in Tennessee doing that. I have the first BA in painting the school ever issued. 
Mm. I have the second. Really? I have the second master's degree in, in technical theater that Oxy Occidental College issued. Well, congratulations. Well, I know, isn't it? That's pretty. pretty fun? Yeah, being the first of anything is great. Or the second wasn't too bad. Well, the second's not bad, not bad either. Yeah. Um, so I, I applaud you for both of those. Oh, they were fine. My father was happy. <laughs> yeah, you can imagine. Uh, so now let's talk about carousels themselves. It's okay. just some basic terminology, and then we'll get into some of the master work, uh, pe- the people who really put the work together. Um, so let's talk about some of the descriptive terms on a carousel. I'm going to throw some at you. You define them. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the horses themselves, you got the romance side. You got standers, jumpers, prancers. You got lolling tongues. Um, what does all this mean? Standard means you have at least two feet and generally three feet on the platform. Okay. And sometimes those feet are flat to the platform, but they can be cocked where they're standing on the back toe with the other two feet flat. Um, so there's always something is touching. I do have standards that have that one foot cocked foot raised off the ground which is fine when it's on a carousel because it's supported by a pole that goes all the way through to the upper upper supports. Mm-hmm. But when it's here at the shop, it's harder to get those to balance on on basically two feet with something in the air. Right. So you have to block up under the toe there. Uh, prancers have two feet on the ground and two feet in the air. So this one over here uh-huh. is, a, is a prancer. And then jumpers have all four feet off the ground. Like they're jumping. Like they're jumping. See, that one makes sense. Uh-huh. So standards don't have to have all four. They just have to have have three or four. Two of them have to be on the ground, and that third one in the Uh back, it's always in the back, is either cocked in the toe touching or it can be raised up. Got it. Uh, Okay. And that's the one that requires, usually when I have those, I also drill out the pole hole and put a heavier pole in through it. The pole hole. Pole hole. (laughs) I like that. To support the thing, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So what is a lolling tongue then? Lolling tongue. Lolling tongue. There you go. Lolling tongue means that their horses are working so hard that their tongue is hanging out the side. Oh, my God. That's, it's adorable. It sounds terrible. They sound like they're exhausted, but it's kind of adorable. No, just, it just adds activity and motion to, you know, the figure that's not moving, actually. Sure. It's like it's doing some work for you. And uh, a lot of them have eyes, you know, that turn back and look at you. Like this horse here, the second one. Uh-huh. See his eyes turned in his head? Yes. Oh, you're right. Okay. It's glass that's done that. Oh, that's really cool. And when I paint the Alan Herschel horses, I, I paint them so the eyes are looking back at you. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, there, there's a lot of cool techniques to make them look like they're moving when they're not, again, which is pieces of art, mm-hmm. uh, which I love that. Uh, stargazer. What's a stargazer? Stargazer's got his head and neck straight up in the air, looking either, sometimes the head, their neck is up straight and then they're looking up. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's about a 40 degree angle or so, just going up. Other times the neck is straight up and the head is also straight up. Okay, like you're looking at stars, like you're looking gazing at, at them, uh-huh. yeah. if if I could be so bold. And the other thing that kind of gives a, a level of activity is a lot of these had real horsehair tails. Yes, remember they were made in 1875 to, well, until about the middle of the turn of the, la- of the last century, you know, about 1910 to 15, a lot of the manufacturers still used hair tails because there are a lot of horses uh, pulling carriages and, you know, pulling wagons and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. But as soon as the electric, you know, the, the gas-powered motor car, that kind of thing, came in and you could use them um, for hauling things, you know, you could, you, then, then horses were no longer as prevalent in the cities. Right. And they were bred more for pleasure than anything else. Right. And so there weren't, wasn't this, um, lo- you know, because a horse, once the horse 
you want a horse to eat, the horse got to be dead first. Because it comes with the hide off the bone. Oh, I didn't know so, that. Yeah. Are they so, like like you pull it in like a hairbrush or something? No, you're getting them from an, from a place that's a dead animal disposal or something where you've put oh. the horse down. He's got to be incinerated or somehow. Got rid of. <laughs> okay. But the first thing you what you do is you take off the tail off the, the hide of the bone. Wow. So you have the hide there holding the tail together. This got dark really quickly. I think the only way you could have made that more dark is if you said that we took live horses and then covered them in wood and kept their <laughs> and then pulled their tail out through the back hole. Very pleasant after a while. Yeah, that would be, uh, yeah. this got real dark. I didn't realize that that's where the horse tails came from. Um, that's pretty, I mean, so obviously it's not, people have since replaced it with either other wooden tails. Well, that's uh, true. There are wooden tails as well. Right. And some of the manufacturers started that way and then others just went to them as they couldn't get horse tails anymore, they began making tails. Just wooden tails. And it's actually kind of a cool thing with some of the wooden tails. They come down and kind of do a 90-degree angle and attach to the back leg. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just are separate, you know, back in there. Right. Attaching to the leg just makes them less able to break off. Uh, a little more sturdy yeah. when they're when they're doing the carving. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the history a little bit. And then as we move into the history, we'll start talking about some of the makers. But this, so carousels actually came in the 12th century. Uh, do you know a little bit about the early well, history of I carousels? Know. That's what all the books tell you, isn't it? Well, do you tell me the real story then, Lorinda? That's <laughs> what I'm here I for. They finally decided that the word carousel doesn't actually mean carousel. It seems to have another uh, origin. But what I think is that carousel is as old as humans are once they discovered a wheel. Once you learned how to... So like Grog and Og in the Neanderthal days were... Once you learned how to make an axle and Uh carve, cut something that's round that you can attach to a an animal or, mm-hmm. or somebody, something that you can pull or push. Sure. Now you've got, you know, a wheel and you can move things around. And then you realize, well, gee, if I put this on its side with the axle going into the ground and I put another one of these stone wheels up on top and I stick a big shaft on one side and I put a draft animal to pull this thing around, now I can grind corn and wheat and olives to make oil. Now I've got a kid screaming in the corner wanting something to do, so I put him up on top of that ox, and now he's quiet, and I can get a lot of work done. So that's the first carousel, I think, is that. Hmm. And there are is literature um, and some um, engravings, uh, wood engravings, of the job fairs that they had um, in the 1900s. Um, where people were, went to a... In the, wait, job fairs in the 900s? Yeah. Oh. You want to want a job, and there's a place where people are gathering to have a festival. Sure. And you're looking for a job, and when the job fair was over, then people would have a little bit of money left. They would get one of these cartwheels, wooden cartwheel, and have that stuck on the ground, and they'd all be riding around the cartwheel, drinking mm-hmm. beer or whatever else there was to drink. Right. And that's sort of, if you remember the movie uh, Carousel, uh-huh. There's that picture of uh, down on the beach where the little girl is riding around on a wagon wheel, and that's the same idea. Mm. So I think it's quite an old concept. You know, think of yourself when you were a kid. Didn't you go outside and have so much energy that you kind of spun around on the driveway? Yeah, oh, yeah, I was always doing yeah, stuff like see, that. and people love to turn. Waltzes turn. That you're, when you dance, ballroom dancing, you're going around a room and you're turning within the, the movement of the dance. Right. And so I think people have always liked to spin. And I think this is just this part of it. So, it's, yeah, it's like the first non 
pharmaceutical way to kind of alter your sense of being is by getting dizzy. Uh, yeah, it's the relaxation of the whole thing and dissipation of energy, I think, and, and it's pleasurable and enjoyable. And I mean, you know, that's what it was. Sure. But there is, you know, it's also true that they were used as training aids for knights. Right. Sort of a maypole situation where there is a suspended ring with these sort of horse dummies on it. Right. And um, but you had to have something that went from that platform, that that ring, to the center, or it would have just turned like a hoop petticoat up on itself. Right. So there was a stabilizing couple of rods in there. Sure. And then you you learn how to spear through a ring or a dummy or have sword play on the back of these things. And I got to tell you, that could not have been a serious business. I think the knights were down there having a fine old time and sipping a few drinks of something. Sure. I think the ladies were upstairs and looked out the windows and saw them having such a good time. And so when the men went off to war, as men do, because uh-huh. uh, they always want more of whatever somebody else has, uh-huh. then the ladies would go downstairs with, and the little pages were still there, so they would turn this thing around. Yeah. And I think probably some traveling salesmen came by, which there were a lot, saw how much fun the ladies were having, and took the idea to the country fairs. Yeah. And then began having animals inside pulling these rides around. Um, but we don't, I don't see any evidence that there were children there doing that because mm. it would take a certain amount of pressure, amount of muscle to pull that thing around. Right. And the original ones are probably hanging swings. Yeah. And they went probably later to, you know, small hand crank things with little horses and things on it. Um, and then they went eventually went to steam power with by burning coconut hulls and coal. And often they had the center pole was the smokestack from this incinerator thing, making the power. Uh, and then that was just nasty because you'd have diesel smoke or you know, that smoke all over everybody. Right. Ever coming home on a <laughs> steamship when day. I was 13 from Europe. And we had, it was a diesel run steamship and the wind came from the back of the boat and we were at the front. And that was a nasty mouthful of diesel smoke, I'll tell you. But anyway, so they... Well, you came on... A, you came, you went from Europe to here on a steamship? Yeah, well, you know, well, yeah, it was what... Well, it was not steam. It was... Well, it was probably... It was diesel run, so it was... Wow. ...his own power. Well, I was 13, shoved in a boarding school for a year, and finally got to come home. We came, we took a steam... And you took a steamship? Well, that's what they were. They were those big liner, luxury <laughs> Yeah, liners. yeah. That's cool. I didn't know they had those. That's amazing. Well, yeah. Anyway, um, so eventually they moved that big boiler out into the vacant lot next door with uh-huh. a massive band that went across to provide the, the power. And it was fine in the daytime, but a little hard on somebody who was tipsy at night trying to get home across the empty field. Right. <laughs> so, Fall into a boiler. So when electricity came, that changed a lot of things. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it. that's a pretty cool synopsis. Uh, and the thing I did want to mention um, is that you mentioned that they were going after the rings. Now, there were brass rings, which then translate into some of the carousels now have a brass ring game on them, mm-hmm. which I believe is where the term reach for the brass ring yeah, comes that's from. Right. That's all tied into that. Yeah. That's right. And it wasn't just that they weren't all brass rings. There would be the occasional brass ring. Oh, so they were regular rings. They were regular steel rings. And then occasionally there'd be a brass ring. And that's the one you wanted. That's the one you wanted because you got a free ride with the brass ring. Right. And it came from the British, excuse me, the French game where children had a little baton or a little stick in their hand and they had to, to catch the ring on the stick uh-huh. as they went around. Yeah, so you got to have, I mean, you can't just reach for it. I like that better because you're kind of working for a free ride well, that's instead right. of just and getting if, one. If you're a kid, you can't reach the ring dispenser. It was really an adult thing to grab that. I love ring. it already. Yeah, yeah, keep the kids out. I love that. I love where you're going with this. We're <laughs> some patico. Uh, so now, 
as you're talking about, we move into as we move into the actual carousel world. Mm-hmm. You know, the beginning of the golden age that you said, which is 1875 ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so this is where a lot of immigrants come from um, Europe to America, yes. and they start bringing their trades. Who were the first people doing this? Well, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I. I always, I always thought everybody came in through Ellis Island. Well, they did not. They came in through Castle Garden first, hmm. the Battery area of New York. And the first several million people came in through there, barely documented, but they did start documenting who was coming in. And by getting a hold of those records, you can see the entry of the carvers. So ah. we have it for Charles Louf. We have it for Ilians. Well, Ilians was it, it, it is different. As I said before, he came. He went to Savages in England to work. And for him, uh, for savages, he carved circus wagons that carried the wild beasts. Um, and, oh. and they were sold to Bostock, who was a wild animal trainer and amusement ride owner. And Bostock brought all of that to Coney Island and brought aliens with him. And at, at, at savages, he learned to gild with white and, and yellow gold and then tint it with colors. Hmm. And he brought all of that with him with Bostock. And then when he was at Bostock's, he got a little tired of that whole thing, and he decided to work, see if he could get a job at Loof's, which he already did. And Loof's was working already on Coney Island. And at the same time that Loof put in his first carousel on the beach on Coney Island, uh, in front of Balmer's bathing house and right by the iron parachute drop, um, Denzel, William, Gustav Denzel it was, um, had come over from Germany and his father had been a merry-go-round maker there. Hmm. And when, after he arrived here, he got his brother Harry to come too and then imported one of his father's carousels. So at 1875, uh, Louf put his first carousel in on Coney Island and at the same time, Gustav put his first carousel in in Philadelphia. Wow. So it was really simultaneous. And the story of what I like about this story is considering what the people were like when they came and what it was like to come over. When I have children that come in for tours, I like them to understand how difficult this was. Because when you got on one of these ships to come in, you had to have one of three things or more. One was enough money to last you for six months. One was a job waiting for you. And the third one was a family member waiting for you. And so when people came, the first guy had the most had the hardest time because he had to get himself in. And that was going through the Battery Park was the easier way. But once they established Ellis Island, now there were all these sort of checkpoints. Are you healthy? Mm-hmm. And this ride over was not riding on a pleasant pleasure ship. It was a step up from riding a slave ship. Mm-hmm. It was everybody was in the hole together. You had to have enough food to last you for the three or four week journey. You had to bring your own food? Mm. There was no catering on those ships. I guess not. There was very, very little way of sanitary um you know, whatever, to get rid of stuff. There was, like, holes in the taff rail, and that was about it. Wow. And the, they said that the bulk of the people preferred to spend their time, even at night, on deck, because it was so bad in the hold. People were sick down in there. Dysentery was everywhere. Oh. And it was just... And then you... So now you've, you've left healthy. You've arrived at a new port. If you're the least little bit sick, you get sent back home. And you can try it again later when you're all well. So the first guy to get get in has to establish something within the city. And they stayed, that's why they stayed within their, their community, so that they, they knew each mm. other, they spoke the same language, they had the same ideas of culture, 
and they were comfortable together. So then you, you brought in members of your family one or two at a time so that you didn't bring everybody because if one person got sick, everybody had to go. So you brought in, you know, a mother and a daughter or, you know, an uncle and a, and a, a boy or somebody. They all sort of came in in drips and drabs and filled up the city that way. Got it. Yeah, so you really, I always like to think about how hard they had to do work to even come here and then how much the more they added to uh, our culture when they did come. Mm. They wanted really badly to, um, be, to show their gratitude to their host country and to produce something that was really worthwhile having. Hmm. And so um, I even there's the first carousel I did a really big article on was um, Sulzer's um, carousel that was at Harlem River Park. And I found him, we found him on a, an entry um, log as coming as being the owner of beer gardens. And in those logs, you can see where he lived, how many of his children came, what each family member did for a living. Mm. So you're always were accounted for. Right. Interesting logs that there are out there, and they are now available to the public. Right. Uh, well, even back then, the government was keeping tabs on everyone, whether well, it was in a logbook or the influx of people that came. Sure. You really had to, and you want to be sure you don't bring in some horrid epidemic too. You want to bring in the plague or something. Right. It was sort of full of all kinds of stuff as we as people are just people that get stuff you right would have transported around too much of course and so so the people who came in you mentioned two guys um charles loof and, and gustav dentlev Denzel. i'm sorry Denzel. and so these were the two pioneers that were kind of doing this yes. and they also had two different styles that they were kind of known for yeah, one was one was philadelphia style, mm-hmm. which is considered to be more elegant Mm-hmm. And one was more flamboyant because of the use of gold and silver leaf and tinting and jewels. Right. And they were within, you don't realize, you think it's a world away, but it's only 40 miles from one place to the other. Right. And so they knew each other. And it accounts for why a lot of early Louvre horses and Denzel, Denzel horses look so similar. And it's only by the way the breast collars overlap or don't. Or the, or the back of the, of the shavrack on the blanket is either cut off square or it's a point that you know who carved them. It's hmm. so, so similar. Wow. So how come they didn't go for more? You, I mean, obviously the over, you just mentioned the two different styles are very different. But how come their horses look so similar then? Well, I think it's from, because of um, coming from Europe where the horses are all the same style. And okay. the trappings are often the same. Got it. Repeated from one time to the other over and over and over. The German horses are repeated over and over and over. Sure. Uh, same trappings and things. So I think it came from that. And they, then they sort of, they started getting carvers from Italy and other places. I mean, Loofs was the first manufacturer in Brooklyn um, of that style, of that Coney Island style. But the whole Jewish community was there uh, on Surf Avenue and... Uh, he was. He had become friends with Charles Carmel, mm-hmm. and Charles carved at Loof's factory for a while, mm-hmm. and Ilians carved at Loof's factory in the beginning, and the Stein and Goldstein boys had had some activity with them, and then the newest one we found now is O.C. Buck, mm-hmm. who had carved there and brought his son Oscar in. O.C. wound up um, after a bit leaving Ilians and started his own um, traveling shows through the Midwest. And Oscar kept carving and formed his own factory, his own carving studio. 
he seemed to have sold horses to manu to ride manufacturers, didn't actually build a carousel himself. Hmm. But his great his great granddaughter, I think, told me or granddaughter, they'd meet that they believe from what they see of their records that he carved over four hundred horses. Wow! And they're a combination. Uh, the, the horses kind of look out the front at you instead of out to the side at you. And and then there's the upper gallery of teeth has a curve to it, an arc to it. Mm-hmm. That was one of Stein and Goldstein's traits. And then some of the trappings, are, the way the trappings are overlapped and formed are a combination of Luth and Ilians and Carmel. And so you can see, so if you look at a horse and you're saying, well, it's got, it's got the Stein and Goldstein lip and you know teeth and it's got something else but but look at there's this thing that's a carmel signature and and oh look there's the overlapping blanket of an illions well i think those are the oscar buck horses Hmm. So there's a lot of people working together on a lot of these horses. So a lot of the styles are kind of getting shared back and forth. Well, I think so too. And of course, in the term, in the situation of the Coney Island carvers, as a Jewish community, they were really family oriented, and they all worked together so that everybody uh, prospered. Mm-hmm. And I was just we've had an interesting thing turn up this last week, where a client up north had bought a big loof horse that had been converted from a stander to a jumper, an 1885 stander converted to a jumper sometime around 1900 or, or 1905. And we've been, I've been trying to figure out how many more of those that there were because a second horse turned up from another uh, carousel. This one was, one with the first one was Keen, this, this was Wallum, and this next one was Keensburg. And it has um, replacement legs on it that I can see are loof and loof with loof shoes on the hooves, like the one from Wallum did. And I'm trying to think, well, now, who else do I remember still has some of these big converted jumpers? So I called up Heritage Plantation um, or emailed them, and they, they've been kind enough to take a magnet to the shoes of all the horses, and they found another horse on their ride that indeed has the iron shoes and um, has Ilian's legs on it. Hmm. So this is a third carousel. So I contacted the National Carousel Association's historian who has translated all of the ledger books that we bought uh, copies of, of the, of the Mangles um, factory, which um, um, was the ride, the frame builder. Um, and we found a reference to Keensburg being redone by Ilian's which would account for the Ilian's legs. And I, and I don't think it means that they did it at Mangles Factory because Mangles didn't have a place to carve. I think the animals went to Ilian's place and were refurbished and then sent back to Mangles. Hmm. So now we need to, we're trying to, just sort of, this is the start of this, and, and I'm just still looking around. I thought I might put an ad in our carousel magazine for anybody else that has these big pieces. Sure. Put take a magnet to the shoes. Tell me what you see. Give me a picture. And where did your piece come from? Wow. So it'd be it's an interesting new little bit that's coming to light here. It's also interesting that there's a carousel association, and you guys have a trade magazine. We do. Well, they have the Merry Go Roundup. That's their office. The Merry Go Roundup. It's every quarter. Merry Go Roundup. And then we have the Carousel and Automatic Music News. So automatic music is band organs and Nickelodeons and music boxes and all kinds of things like that hmm. combined together in one magazine. And I do I do the occasional article for them. I also proofread for them. Oh wow! So it is really fun. I get because as a re- restoration person, I get pieces that are 
you know, really interesting. They're in such bad shape, and how do you repair them? Mm-hmm. And I do the occasional article that will tell somebody who wants to do their own how to do a certain aspect of it. Right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, much like the pioneers, you kind of had to get into their mindset and really know what they were going for and who did what. Yeah, I think so, too. And, and I was talking with the fellow, that Jerry Reinhardt, who runs the Parker Museum in Leavenworth, Kansas, and he says, well, does you ever change what a carver put on? I said, well, if I think the carver has forgotten to do something, then I'll go ahead and complete what he forgot to do. Like if a blanket folds uh, back on itself, but it doesn't make any sense, the fold doesn't make any sense, and you can't paint it properly, you know, then, then I think I need to go ahead and make the repair. Um, and, you know, I just think that if, I, if I'm going to get to heaven here, and I'm going to be talking with all these guys. I would say, gee, thanks a lot for doing that for me. I kind of forgot that part. Like well, on the centaur over here next to you on, on your right, uh-huh. see that band underneath the sleeve? Uh, yes. Okay, that was not there. 150 years, and the band was not there. Well, now, now, this is, I love this point. This is great. I'm going to challenge you on this for a second because how, if you've got master carvers, like if I went to a Rembrandt and I said, oh, I think he forgot a stroke here. And I was like, oh, I'm restoring it. Oh, I'll go ahead and just put this on myself. And I just started painting, like, let's say I painted a mustache on one of his people. Um, you know, I could say, I could say, well, I restored it, but I didn't restore it. I mangled it. Hmm. You know? Well, that's, you know, that's sort of like the folk art market says, don't do anything. Uh-huh. and charges a lot of money. The carousel um, market, and my own inclination is, if I wanted to look like I left the factory, mm-hmm. that, like, that I think that, that I think this carver would be, was went along, got so involved with carving out the sleeve and the hand, he kind of forgot about that band there. And to get it to work right with the paint for him, then the band had to go back. And I think that on these pieces, they're not temples. You know, they're not bits of fine art. They are seats on rides. Uh-huh. Need to look right. Right. Okay. Um, well, I mean, they are after a certain point, they do become antiques. Well, I think it's just age. Over hundreds of well, years. Sure. It's just an age. Yeah. I mean, if you have a pot that was, you know, a horrible pot that was made three thousand years ago, and someone's like, "Oh, this is just a, you know, a, a clay pot," they're like, "No, this is a, a Roman piece mm-hmm. of art that we need to put into it. And if it's cracked, it's going to remain cracked. No, We're not going to repair them. Right. You'll see if they are repaired, and they don't inpaint the repairs. But they do repair them. Yeah, well, they put them together with the pieces that they have. Yeah, that's right. And then often, I've seen when I was working in Israel as a field illustrator uh, over a summer, we were at Kassar and Maritima, the, the pot restorer would make up a matrix that he could use to repair the pieces, and then he'd sort of fill in those empty areas to make it make sense, but he never repainted it so that mm. you would see where his repairs were. Mm-hmm. It's like when I have one of my jigsaw puzzles um, that, that Parr made, um, loses a piece, mm-hmm. then I have a, a puzzle maker that will make new pieces for me in Vermont. And I don't repaint the pieces. I want to see where those repairs were. Right. Because they're so beautifully done. See the stitch mm-hmm. where it is. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. And so when, when you're doing all this stuff, th- there are a couple other people that I wanted to mention as the masterwork. Uh, one is a company, which is the Philadelphia Toboggan Company, mm-hmm. which I really like that because did they just make toboggans first or how did that? Well, no, yeah, they did. They first made, they made a lot of rides. They made the tickler. They made... All kinds of interesting rides. The tickler, same, same with the mangles. Did was that a kids ride? Yeah, it, it seems to come down a slope, and the the cars kind of turn as it goes around, you know. Um, but um, they did that, and they did ski balls, and they're still making um, roller coasters. Mostly, it's roller coasters that they did, and ski balls, and they still have rides that they're making. 
their archives are the most complete carousel archives anywhere hmm. because they had photographed every ride and they numbered them and then etched those numbers onto the center poles of their rides so we can identify probably 95% of their carousel. Because all their carousels are just numbers, right? It's like PTC number 65 that's or PTC. And that's the number yeah. that is engraved onto the pole of the huh. ride. And by, by using that number system, you can trace the ride from one owner to another owner. Mm. So Santa Monica is PTC, PTC 62. Got it. Okay. And so um, and th- who was their main carver for P- for PTC? Well, they kind of, Chernigliera, I think, is, or Coretta, I guess, was theirs, their main carver. But, I mean, they had Zoller, Leo Zoller, who's my favorite, thin, narrow little legs, and the heads were up and the eyeballs were looking at the sky, and the little manes were, little forelocks were tossed up. And they're always, horses are always so worried that you're going to fall off, you know, they're so careful. Right. And then they kind of made bigger and bigger things. So, and then there was Zalar, Z-A-L-A-R. There was Lightfoot, you know, there were were quite a few carvers. But there's also a lot of things that people's names you don't know because they weren't nobody wrote down anything special about them and that's one of the thrusts of the national carousel association now is to try to find out who the other carvers were in these shops right and by magazine by articles in newspapers in little towns you start finding this sort of information i mean it's incredible but i mean i didn't know there were so many people doing i mean at at that point there was a large need that needed to get filled for carousel so a lot of companies that were doing this and so we talked about the you know loof had the um uh the uh, what was the style the coney Coney island Island style and then the obviously the philadelphia toboggan company had the philly philly style so gustav denzel was philly style too and so was muller Oh, yes. Yeah. Right, right. And so a lot of people took that up. There's a third style called the uh, county fair style. Yeah, county or country fair, yeah. And so that was that was Herschel uh, and Spillman. Well, there were Alan Herschel. It started out as Armitage Herschel, Armitage being mm. a man, Herschel being a man. Mm-hmm. And then those were very simple horses with little saddles that kind of dropped on. They look kind of like little bird back saddles. Mm. And they have a little breast collar with a pattern of some kind. And then there's a little a little carving on the back of the saddle. And they were just usually two abreast on a little platform that went around, nothing jumped. Mm-hmm. And then the style changed, then um, Herschel and then Spillman um, joined, and um, it became, I guess Armitage decided he was tired, and, and Spillman wanted to be part of this whole thing, so Spillman joined. Because he was the in-law to Herschel, right? Yes, married the, married the sister. Right. Mm. So he kind of yes. worked his way in that way. Well, yeah. And so they worked on that. And so then, of course, the style of horses changed at that point. Of course. And then Alan Herschel decided, well, he didn't decide. He did have a heart problem, decided to take a, <laughs> a rest. Uh. Kind of, so he stopped. He, he just retired for a while. And then so Spillman, Edward Spillman, revamped the whole thing and started making a more big rides. Herschel Spillman had made very large park rides um, with interesting menagerie pieces, but then Spillman did a few menagerie pieces, I think with leftover animal stock, and because they're very similar in, in size and shape, but the trappings are vary a, a bit. Now, when you say menagerie animal, you mean basically anything that isn't a horse. Well, a lion or a tiger or a giraffe, maybe. That kind of thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that Spillman, um, Griffith Park is is a lot of Spillman and some Loof and two Carmella in there. 
And um, so he, he worked a while for a while, and then, well, Alan Herschel started feeling better, so he started his business up again, his own business across the street from his brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And it was the Alan Herschel Company. He really specialized in traveling carousels, mm-hmm. and they were patterned after Mustangs. I think there were a lot of Wild West shows with, you know, mm-hmm. all those sort of things going on. And so they're like little Mustangs with bigger heads, and you really can't see them. In fact, I wanted, I'm trying to get an exhibit going um, out of state with Remington paintings and sculptures and these Alan Herschel horses. Hmm. Be kind of a fun exhibit, I think. Anyway, um, so, and Alan Herschel actually outlasted Spillman. Spillman stopped around 1928 or so, and Alan Herschel kept going past the First World War, Second World War. And during the Second World War, he developed heliarch welding and worked with aluminum to make whole horses for the carousel business after the war. But during the war, he made armaments for our armies, the government. Mm-hmm. And then and with that technology, then he was able to make uh, all aluminum horses after the war. And that company was finally sold to Chance Manufacturing, I think, in the early 70s. Wow. And Chance is still making carousels now. Oh. And one of the reasons I wanted to buy an Alan Herschel ride was because I knew that new parts are still being made. Oh, because the company's still in business. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And, and those are really the three main kind of people and, and styles. You know, and then it leaves out a whole bunch of people who were carving who didn't belong to any of those things. Right. The rocking horse people who also carved carousel ponies. And there were people who had seen carousels in big towns and lived in a small town and wanted to carve for their company, their, their, their town. So we have Joseph Brown, and he was in Salem, Massachusetts. And he decided to carve a carousel for Salem. And then it was so successful that he carved a couple of other ones. And, in fact, I talked with the, the curator of the library there. And because I have one Joseph Brown here that was, was – they said it was a French horse, but I never bought it. And I did find it on a, on a Joseph Brown postcard. Um, and so we talked with the curator, and he says, well, now you should move back here because the Bray – warehouse is back here. Hmm. And that would explain why my father insisted that we go to Salem after my sister's graduation from Smith. Hmm. I think he went to go see his, see the warehouse, the family warehouse. Wow. But we also saw the house in Seven Gables, too. Well, of course. You know. Yeah. So that's all. So there were a lot of people doing like their micro regional. So they would I do. Think, see, I think so all over the place. And because these animals are turning up that are very primitive by our standards mm-hmm. of carving. And yet, how many people do they take on a ride? Right. And you look, you know, and of course, all around the world, people are making carousels, India. And we've had, we had a, one of Carmel's carousel, one of us went to Bogota, Colombia, mm-hmm. and was working in the park down there when the, the gorillas took the park over. And they were able to get the horses out, not the ride itself, but the horses out. And those were sold at an auction in New York. And they had dense replacement of standing legs with cement. The damnedest thing you ever saw. That's weird. Okay. <laughs> One of those cement legs here. They're interesting, you know. Um, but they, and we, I did find an Alan Herschel ride. I think it's in Sumatra. Hmm. And all the houses around are little thatched houses. And, you know, the, they're all, there's, there are no bright colored animals. They're all dark colored animals on the ride. Wow. That's, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to know that th- this was such a popular phenomenon that people were doing it mm-hmm. uh, at the local level. Really I mean, that's. Yeah, there was a carousel in the south, um, high south, you know, I think just below the Mason-Dixon line. And, 
a bunch of Indians had decided they wanted to ride this thing, and they, they were so rowdy, got getting into white man's rum, I think, mm-hmm. that they, uh, they, they, the citizenry got them off, and then they burned the carousel up. They want the Indians to come back. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. It's just a bit much, don't you think? That's a, Yeah, it's a little and extreme. And one of those carousels, either it's Oak Bluff or it's Martha's Vineyard, one of those had a, a, a traveling fellow that put his carousel on the beach, and then a big storm surge came, and it buried the carousel. So he walked away and left the thing out there. And a couple of years later, the citizenry decided to try to save the thing. They dug the thing back up again and redid the mechanism and the horses and got them new manes and tails. And so now that's what's working back there. Wow. I know. It's interesting, don't you think? There are lots of weird little nuggets around carousels. Yeah. And not even – so one thing I want to get to is that um, Charles Louf was kind of not only a pioneer in the carousel, mm-hmm. but he designed a lot of different uh, amusement parks, inc- uh, you know, including the Santa Monica Pier, which is still standing. He did, and he owned a lot of park space, and he basically made carousels for each of his children, mm. so they would have a have an income. Mm, that yeah. makes sense. He had that one daughter, Anna, I think, was the one who did not survive. She was, she was, it was in New York City, and there she was on a trolley that had had the sides taken down for the summer, mm-hmm. um, so it could be cooler, and a car lost its brakes and ran into the side of the trolley and it shattered Jeez. her legs and she died. Wow. She was very young, only in, the, in her early 20s, I think. But everybody, he had six or so children, I think, in event, but everybody, otherwise, he had carousels for everybody else. Well, it's kind of it's kind of strange to me because when you go to Santa Monica Pier, um, you know, it's the Loof Hippodrome building. Yeah. And inside was, of there... It was a sales building. Oh, the sales building. So he, he built the carousels in Long Beach. But this was his sales building. Right. Well, so in that, so that building still exists, yeah. and it houses a carousel, uh-huh. and that carousel is a Philadelphia Toboggan Company but carousel. It used to be a very large parker was in there. Hmm. The parker that was at Beverly Park was put in there. But why not a Loomis? I mean, he built carousels. Why in his park is he not of his own carousel? Well, the Loof carousel was in there, and what it was happened? sold to Belmont Park in San Diego, and uh. eventually was dispersed out. One of the horses is here. Wow, so one of the horses from the original Loof carousel that was in Santa Monica yeah, is in this building that I'm sitting in right now. Armored horse, yeah. Okay. We're going to take a picture with that. I'm going to okay. put that one up. That's incredible. Uh, so that's so those are the big, you know, the big stories when it comes to carousels. Mm-hmm. we got the micro stories. Well, let me ask you one other question about, about the animals themselves. So with the cats, like behind us, mm-hmm. there is a cat. Yeah. Um, and I found this kind of interesting in um, one of the books that you were the, uh, were you the consultant I was for? the proofreader. The proofreader. And consultant. And consultant. The, the historian making sure the facts are right. Mm-hmm. And in that, what's kind of interesting interesting is, you, is there's a talk of the, the cat was a very popular menagerie animal on two, uh, on two, for two manufacturers right for, for they, they were only offered by two but they were it was it, one had like like the one behind us does not have anything in its mouth this is quote country fair style unquote country fair style it's fairly sophisticated for the country uh it, it is very sophisticated as far as cats go it had all those extra animals so on this kind of machine it would have had a kangaroo giraffe Lion, tiger, uh, rooster, um, pigs, uh, quite, a, quite a large menagerie of, of animals on it. When it was really, so this one does not have anything in its mouth. No. But, but then the Philadelphia Toboggan Company, when they would... No, that's Denzel. Denzel. Denzel put the things in the mouth. And I think, and you could pretty much tell if they expected the ride to go to the seashore or was to go on a land-based place. Because I think the seashore ones would have had the crab 
or the squid. And the ones that went on land had the goldfish or the bird. Okay. And so Denzel put those in. He was the one who made all the prey. I actually prefer them. I do have a a copy of a Denzel cat down there made by W.P. Wilcox, who who taught everybody in in this area uh, with another carver how to carve and how to sharpen tools. Hmm. And he was quite amazing. And when he decided he was through carving, he gave the big giraffe at the far end with the snake on the neck to the children that come here. Hmm. Uh, and he also carved the gray cat down there with a big goldfish in its mouth. Oh, wow. And the cat is painted to look like one of my shop cats that was here a while back. Oh, that's that's adorable. I like that. And this one, we painted like my first shop cat, Honey, a striped kitty. It's going to be? That's what? Yeah. Oh, that's she cute. She had a little, nose, little, little black dot in the middle of her nose, and she had that little black dot, too. Now, while that's extremely adorable, Lorinda, uh, that is not the factory standard. You and I both know that. No, but, you know, it would, they would have been a striped cat. So that's legit. Okay. But where, where the stripes go, depending upon where the artist puts it. Okay. But I know that they originally were striped cats on the ride. Okay. As long as you don't recarve it, I guess it's all right. No, we'll... they're not going to. We actually we did some replacement on this cat because the missing parts of the tufts and the ears were gone. Mm-hmm. So we had to go through and find as many cat photographs as we could find. Mm-hmm. And then choose the one that had the best ear tufts. Your tufts are very important. I think they're an underrated. The neck ribbons varied from ride to ride, too. So I wanted a ribbon that had little ends on the bow, not just a plain bow. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) One of the things um, that I I thought was really interesting in reading that book is that, and this is one of those things that that I never noticed on rides before, on carousel rides before, Uh, but is that, is it the cantel? Is that the thing that's on the back? of the back. Yeah, there's like, there's... A lot of the carvers had things that came out of it. Well, like the one right next to me has got a face, there's corn, there's all kinds of stuff sticking well, you out. You can see how long the saddle is. Yes. And it has a little back end on it. Mm-hmm. So in order to make that back end strong, you put a carving underneath it. Oh, I see. So when you sit back, it doesn't mm-hmm. crack. Yeah, yeah. That rhymes. Kind of That's why they did it. There, yeah. yeah. You sit back, it doesn't crack. But it's pretty. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. And it, it offered a nice little canvas for people to add their own little touches well, so think, you knew who yeah, it was. I think that the, the people that carved here, having had s- such a hard life in Europe, found joy in carving something that, that brought them pleasure here. Mm-hmm. And I think there was competition among the carvers of various houses, too, to make fun stuff. Right. You know, Parker got that, that big horse that's uh, got the big, big feathers on his chest. He's got a lariat and a pistol on his, a lariat on his shoulder, pistol on his hip. Um, he's got a big dogfish on his back. It's a big, looks like a big dog, but it turns into a fishtail. Okay. And that's all leafed and tinted and really with orange and red eyes kind of thing. You know, it's really fun. Hmm. I think all of that's, he actually copied a Stein and Goldstein to get the, the trapping, but he, but he carved with his own style. Mm-hmm. And Parker was a person who admired other people's work and he'd copy it. Mm-hmm. As a you know, and and uh, always had American eagles on the on the tops of his rounding boards, as a patriotic thing. But the sure. man was truly a salesman and a showman. Sure, a it's picture a... of him lying in his coffin. Oh wow! No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> they did that a lot back then. They oh, took a lot did. of pictures. Sure, yeah. death pictures. You know, a way to remember your loved one. At least there's no coins on his eyeballs. I'm grateful right. for that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it's it's, like he's kind of sleeping in a box. Yeah, that's super creepy. Yeah. Why don't you tell people how to get to the studio? Your promo. This is your promo time, Lorinda. Yeah. What do you like? You have to go to the website, which is runninghorsestudio.com. Singular. Singular. Uh-huh. Yep. 
and then you there is an, a phone number for you to call to make an appointment to come. Okay. And you don't know how to get here until I tell you how to get here. Right. It's an undisclosed location. It Parts is. unknown is where you're yeah, located. It is. Um, and so is that the only way? It really is. Okay. But once you once you make contact with me and and make an appointment, then you'll be told how to get here. Okay. And it's easy after that. And and you and I was able to come by myself. Do you typically send someone to escort them here and they blindfold no, throw in the no, back of a truck or anything? Just, no, no. They're just people that, that like carousel stuff are unlikely to do anything unattractive. Right. That's true. That's yeah. fair enough. Um, well, Lorinda, I got to tell you, this has been super exciting. Um, and I really appreciate you sitting down and talking to me, kind of breaking down carousels. Because there's a lot to these things. And I didn't yeah, realize it that. It, it is. Like, for me, it's like a never-ending story. And sometimes when I can't sleep at night, and I don't sleep very many hours, uh, I lie there and I go through one manufacturer at a time and, and see in my mind the horses that I have of that manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And that does eventually set me off at about four manufacturers. I All of a sudden, it's morning again. <laughs> <laughs> but it is sort of fun to remember who all you've got in here. So you don't count sheep. You count manufactured carousel animals. Yeah, yeah. Hey, whatever. Got to visualize them. Got to see them. Whatever works. Um, whatever gets you to sleep. Uh, Lorinda, well, thank you so much for My doing pleasure. this. I'm glad you all came. Uh, thank you, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E. A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E. A. Barrientos. Go to fascinatingnouns.com to catch up on all the previous episodes or to learn more about this one and follow the show on social media. You'll find links to the show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages all at the bottom of the Fascinating Nouns webpage. And if you like this show, you'll love my new show, Fascinating Gadgets gizmos and gear based technologies where I take a team of experts and explore how to make fictional science a reality. I got Michael Denon, you know him from this show, superhero scientist. I got Ben Siebser, rocket scientist, Brittany Needham, microbiologist, and we look at all the different pop culture things from everlasting gobstoppers to Iron Man's suit to the T-1000, www.f. G G G B T. That's F triple G B T dot com. And if you like that, you'll love all the other things that I do. Daniel J. Glenn.com will introduce you to the whole world of the fascination. Thank you for listening. End of transmission.